I think just being like really focused on looking at yourself and not looking at those around you. So like being like fiercely competitive with yourself to be your best and not constantly benchmarking versus your peer set. I think that can be said probably for a lot of things in life. Just like being true to your values. And for me, it's like about elevating those around me. And even when that's really hard. Welcome to Hearts and Carts, the CPG podcast, the podcast about the people behind the products that are winning hearts and filling carts. This cast is for anyone with an interest in the world of consumer products. We're your hosts, Justin Osborne and Alex Hill, and our mission is to bring you weekly content that helps you be a better and more informed CPG professional. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hearts and Carts. I'm your co-host, Alex Hill. I'm here with Justin Osborne, and we are getting ready for a conversation with someone from a big industry that has many products you might associate with fun. Justin, who are we chatting with? Today, we are chatting with Kim Perslow, who is the Regional Vice President for British Columbia at Labatt Breweries of Canada. Their portfolio, across beer and, and non-beer alcoholic beverages, is so enormous. I'm not going to go through all the brands. If you live in Canada, you're definitely aware of the brands that she represents. Beyond being in this amazing role, she was my mentor while I was at SE Johnson, a great resource for me early in my career, and someone that I still reach out to uh, on a regular basis and chat with. You know, I haven't been the best at actually meeting up with her in person. We'll get to that, and she's going to hold that against me during the cast. But without further ado, let's jump on in. If you haven't already, remember to like and subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Here we go. I mean, I haven't seen you for a while, but you both look pretty good with those headphones on. Official. Official. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm. Uh, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. It's it's uh, exciting, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not raining or it wasn't raining, so that's always a better day. I don't know if yeah. it's, I've been like in a meeting room most of the day. We haven't experienced yeah, that out in Ontario. Justin and I were just talking about your weather. I yeah. saw it's supposed to snow next week, and I was like, "What happened to West Coast being warmer?" When it snows, this will I guess be the first time you've been in Vancouver when it snows. The city. It's such a joke. The city completely shuts down <laughs> because no one knows how to drive. You see people do things like go up a hill and they don't pick up any speed. So they don't make it up the hill and the car starts sliding down. And like, it's just complete chaos. It's really, and there's like, you know, an inch of snow. So it's because no one has winter tires. I don't know. Yeah. And they, and they just don't like, they just don't get it. <laughs> they, they don't just don't get it at all. It's funny. And no, there's not enough snow clouds. Like afraid or... of driving out here. There's so many bikers. Yeah, I'm yeah. not a huge fan of the bikers either, but uh, that's a whole other thing. They didn't say I wasn't a fan. I don't like start anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, uh, so how you doing, Kim? How you been? I'm good. Obviously, lots has changed. I feel like, God, it's been a long time since I've seen both of them and really like interacted. I think Justin and I had a couple of calls like periodically, but Alex, yeah. a long time. So I feel like life is so different. And things have happened. Things happen. Life changes, both of yeah. kids. So in that time, like what's been harder, not seeing me or not seeing Justin? <laughs> well, I guess what's been harder is not seeing you, Alex. So they get to see Justin and his family more on social media. So I 
feel like that's I know fair. what's that's happening fair. in his life. So it's like the sense of like, I have more sense of proximity, recency bias. So like, I guess I would say probably Alex then because I just don't know. So it's like a big black box of what's been going on. Yeah, Unfortunately, I, you're not the first guest to say that. <laughs> that seems to be a trend. I'm running like a scarcity strategy. Uh, you know, I'll post once every couple of years and, and see if that really gives, you know, gives people what they're looking for. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it'll be interesting to see what really is like bigger and better since uh, scarcity on social media certainly isn't the norm. But I was like, oh, well, I think I like Justin more because I know him better, but it was more who do you miss now? Oh, oh well yeah. Put. See, well Alex put. rephrased the question. I know. And I was like, shoot, that was a trick question. Uh, see, he no, rephrased it to that's his fair. favor. So what I heard is that she likes me better. She just misses you more. We both win. We'll call this one a tie. Uh, that's pretty good, Kim. That was very diplomatic. You, yes. found, you found the middle line. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good to see you. For everyone listening, I guess we should introduce you. We have uh, Kim Perslow with us today, who is the regional vice president for British Columbia with Labatt. So huge job. She just moved out to Vancouver fairly recently to, uh, to take with this new role, which is really exciting. Me as someone who's a huge proponent of the West Coast was excited that she was coming here. She, of course, arrived at around the same time that I left to the island. So <laughs> that part didn't work out, but really, really excited to have her on the show. Thank you for having me. And I'm I feel like it was a strategy of not having to actually get together with me for lunch yeah, another, or a drink. Yeah, another thing I should mention is that last time I was in Vancouver, I had reached out to Kim to meet me for a drink. She said <laughs> yes. Uh, and then right before I canceled. So <laughs> I am a terrible friend. And she was still nice enough to come on the podcast. So that's how you know she really likes Alex because she's not, she's not trying <laughs> I like, to I just me. need to catch up with Alex. Yeah, she it. just wanted to catch up with Alex. Either that or like so. stick it to you during the podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's why two. I thought I would come out and just say it. <laughs> I knew it was going to come up at some point. But um, yeah, I think if you want to start, just sort of explain what your current role is, what you do, and then we'll you know sort of go into your, your past and path through BG. Sounds good. So the the interesting thing about alcohol is that it's differently structured. So as like a regional vice president, it's kind of like you're the general manager. So with all the different like liquor boards and everything happening and regulated provincially, it means like you're really running your own business, which is really different than like past CPGs that I've worked in where you have like much more of a national strategy. So the role that I have oversees a team of the entire field sales team, the key account sales team, all of our trade marketing locally, as well as having like, you know, analysts, insights, uh, finance. And we do have like a pretty considerable um, supply footprint and um, government relations team. So it's been a lot of learning and yeah, wow. the day-to-day, I think one of the things that we we're going to talk about is what your day-to-day look like and I can wait there, but I would say it's, it's very different than any other CPG I've worked in given that. So it's really cool because I get to manage my own business while still being in a really big company and learning and continuing to grow and progress myself and my own development while having like a really strong team and structure set up. Um, but having that kind of like autonomy to set our own strategy, develop our own plans and, and kind of influence some of the things from a supply and logistics standpoint. Although sometimes I wish I could do that more, um, just given some of the complexities of the market today. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Supply, yeah. supply's been i think fun for everyone uh yeah. this past few years surprise after surprise that's interesting so you have you actually manage like gr as well in your role yeah so it's it's a full pnl business of management so it's really cool experience like it's really unique i would say and i think other alcohol companies do have a more similar structure and i think probably cannabis also just given like it's driven by regulation yeah. um, but it's unique and there's a lot of employees and the difference of having like on the ground sales force is is also unique versus many cpgs today while um like labat canada develops like their own marketing content. So we have brand teams in, in Toronto that they get to do, I think, some of what the, the dream is for a lot of marketers, which I think is really cool um, versus what some other companies do, you know, commercializing some of the global and, and North American things. So I think yeah. like it's a really like great amount of exposure and certainly it's been a lot of learning. Yeah. And Labat has some pretty awesome, awesome brands behind it, which Pretty big Remind, reminds me. I I did mean to open this. Um, ah, I also need to go. <laughs> I guess what time is it? Seven o'clock. Seven uh, o'clock. Seven <laughs> o'clock for me. <laughs> Question, questionable for Justin. Yeah, but. seven o'clock. I mean, I like it. You're uh, you're improving the overall consumption. We are so, definitely in a responsible way. Helpful. In a responsible way. In a responsible yeah. way. Yeah. I, I, if I could have, if I could have, I would have bought it in BC and supported you. It just wasn't enough. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Kim, maybe uh, you can go back to the beginning of your career, your path through CPG. I I noticed just on your LinkedIn that you actually have an engineering undergrad, which I didn't know at the time. So you made a switch in there for going back to get your MBA, and then started off on the supply chain side, which is kind of cool. So I won't you know spoil anything else, but maybe you can take us back to the beginning, why you made some of the changes, and how you got to where you are. I guess. I'll start at the beginning. So you, you mentioned I have an engineering degree, which I say probably when I was in school, if I ever like said, hey, this is what you're going to be doing later in your career, I probably would have been pretty surprised. But I think that that's like probably both of you would say this too, is it's not always what you expect of how your career goes. And yeah. so starting out with engineering, I think it gave me like a really good foundation on like data and problem solving. But I pretty quickly, quickly realized that I liked a lot more of like kind of the strategy side of things and going and interacting more with people and consumers and decided to do my MBA after doing a couple of years in engineering. And I think kind of the natural transition for engineers into business is often in supply chain. So I spent a couple of years doing um, forecasting and demand planning for um, Whirlpool and really fast there saw how like the sales and marketing side of CPG really drove the overall strategy for the business. A lot of the times were more senior level people and influenced a lot more of the day to day. And I was fortunate in that I worked in a really small team and the director saw my abilities and eagerness and, and kind of took a bit of a, a risk on me to do a key account manager role. So from supply chain to key account manager, that doesn't happen that often. So I got a good amount of experience kind of managing smaller accounts, developing plans at like a, a more junior level, but it wasn't fast moving consumer goods, which as you both know, is way more data centric, it's faster paced, it constantly is changing. And so um, went over to SC Johnson, which is where I know both of you from. And from that point in my career, I think I really started to hit a bit more of my stride of using some of my stronger capabilities on data-based selling to convince retailers and organizations on how we could grow our business mutually. And 
I think I was pretty fortunate doing that through um, SDJ, whether that was through category management. I did a stint in trade marketing. Or I think it was customer marketing there at the time and then went back as a national account manager overseeing our Walmart business, then kind of led our Walmart business. And before I left, led our Costco business. I think one thing that's really funny I forget to mention is at the time before Amazon really started, I did work on that, which was really hard at the time because it was like setting up all their payment terms and supply chain pieces before they could order enough to order, which makes me feel really old. Um, (laughs) And then from there, I uh, did a bit of time at Kimberly Clark where I did sales strategy. So kind of took a bit of a step back uh, in my career. And, and at that point it was really hard decision to make, but ultimately like, I think it taught me in switching companies. Sometimes it can be really hard. Um, and then got promoted back to a director of sales, um, overseeing our Loblaws and shoppers drug mart business. And from there went to Labatt. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career where people have spoken highly of me and I haven't had to seek out a lot of opportunities. They've kind of been put in front of me, but the director of sales intelligence for Labatt was a good marriage of, I think, my engineering past, transitioning careers, mm-hmm. more data-centric and still within the sales organization. Um, and in that role, I developed our three-year plan and kind of did a bit of transformation work on the team, which ultimately got me promoted into this role, which is a little bit of kind of everything I've done in my whole career um, into one role. So it's very cool. It's cool. It's all kind of come full circle. Now you're kind of getting to draw on everything. A lot of different experiences there. And uh, you talked a bit about some of the skill set in navigating that, like making those jumps. What were some of the, what were some of the, you know, the thought processes you went through? You know, when, when did you feel like I need to, I need to make a change or make a leap? I think early on, I felt that way all the time. I think yeah. when you're young and you're ambitious, it's like, that's all you want to do is like move on to the next thing. Um, so I could say that that was like, and I see it even today with a lot of people, it's like, you know, you do it once and you're like, Hey, I've I've done this. I'm on to the next thing. Um, but like a couple of like really substantial points in time for me was like, I really wanted to lead a bigger team and where I couldn't see that that development would happen. I made, I made a change leaving SC Johnson, which was a really hard decision, but that was like a big change for me. Um, and Making the change to Labatt was also a big one because I knew the organization was so big mm-hmm. and very complex and different than what I had experienced. And one of the things that I had been reading a book on was just around like sometimes like when you you feel like no is is there in front of you, like it's because of fear and it's mm-hmm. not because of like it really is like a no. And so like kind of like surrendering yourself and to what goes in front of you and giving it your all rather than letting kind of like no in the fear um, be the reason. So for me, that probably was the biggest step change and then confidence tied to making those changes because it's hard, right? Like you start a new company, you start a new industry. Yeah. um, It's a lot of unknowns and remembering that you got where you or why you went there is because of the skills that you have. Yeah. We've talked about that once or twice on the cast so far, which is, I don't know, like I don't know if we've ever specifically called it like imposter syndrome, but like, yeah, like that believing in yourself piece, it's come back a few times for us. And it's a, it's often said, but often kind of like you take it like at surface level, but it's so important, right? Like to like have that, to find that confidence to like make, push through the fear of the no, right? Like So, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think that it's taught me because I've changed I've changed companies a few times and, and industries. And 
I think just being like really focused on looking at yourself and not looking at those around you. So like being like fiercely competitive with yourself to be your best and not constantly like benchmarking versus your peer set. Um, And I think that can be said probably for a lot of things in life, just like being true to your values. And for me, it's like about elevating those around me. And even (laughs) when that's really hard. You just reminded me of a, a story. I was, cause I was going to say like, I I remember you, you to be a fairly competitive person. And we, we used to have an exercise class at SC Johnson called, we called it interval classes. And we would do things like run suicides and I'll never forget running suicides next to Kim, who I'm pretty confident. First of all, she's very fast, had the objective of making me sick. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And I am that and I appreciate her for that. In that in that instance, <laughs> it was okay for her to benchmark against me because she would de- she definitely would win. Um except for there are others that were always beating me. So I was always like, you know, still trying, still trying, but again, focusing on myself. No, not at that time. No, oh, that's awesome. So you've done a number of different categories. Um, you've done a dump, bunch of different functions. What do you love about CPG? Like what are some of your some of your favorite things? I mean, you you kind of knew. You like consumer and strategy going in, but you probably probably have built on that, I would imagine, over a long career. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that have kept me interested. So I feel like a bit of like a nerd alert. And I mentioned is just like the data and all of the ways that you can kind of slice and dice and understand like what do consumers want and how can you adapt your strategy and make adjustments and make sure that your customers and retailers are kind of aligned and, and making sure that we're all kind of rowing the boat in the same direction to grow the total category. Like, I think that that's always been something really interesting. I think having like full visibility to like P&L and it's never a dull moment, like it's continually changing and there are all these different challenges that come your way. And so some days I would say that's probably not my response, but overall, I think it's just, it keeps like everything new rather than, you know, monotonous and, and you don't kind of get stuck and you can constantly develop and grow. I find that the people in CPG are a large part of what I love about it. Like for me, the team that I have and the people I work with, at least today, and the same when I was at SC Johnson, like we're all like good at having fun while being really like focused and driven and finding, you know, ways to solve problems. But at the end of the day, like you spend so much time at work. So like having those colleagues that like you can rely on and, and you can kind of develop and grow. And then like, even seeing like you and Alex and knowing that we worked together so long ago, but those relationships still hold true. Like, I think that that's been a big part of why I loved it so much. Yeah, I, I agree. Even when we were starting this podcast, Alex, well, Alex and I haven't worked together in I guess five or six years now, five years. And we still keep in touch all the time. A lot of people from SC Johnson that have left, we keep in touch with. So it's, it's really nice when you were moving out to Vancouver, right? Like we chatted and, a couple of video calls and chats and it is nice that we've all like stayed so close and i guess ej was great for that and yeah. all the people that came from that and the industry it, itself i think is good for that because other companies yeah. have a similar approach which is sort of cool yeah so let's let's talk about your current role and get into a bit of like what exactly you do the nuts and bolts so how your days are structured what you actually you know focus on how you manage your priorities with such a large team i'm sure it's it's a bit overwhelming. So how do you actually manage out your, your time? So my time is mostly dedicated to kind of meetings and the routine, I would say, of delivering on our monthly deliverables and quarterly deliverables. And so that's a lot of how mine is. So 
I mean, if we're going to get really specific, I probably am in the office by seven in the morning. And, and I often will structure my day around kind of what is my first and what do I need to look at? I just very much am a prepared person. So it makes me feel better to be able to like kind of set myself up. But like, I think on it, on a weekly basis, I don't have a lot of consistency the, the mm-hmm. there are certain things like my steer co and the team that kind of leads each of the individual pillars that I mentioned, like I rely very heavily on them to kind of manage with their teams. There's a lot of routine tied to having a field sales team. And so I would say like a lot of the week kind of flows in service of ensuring that the field team receives the information that they need. So it, it starts out with on Wednesday, I have my most senior steer co meeting and we talk about our topics of kind of like, what are the more strategic things we need to look into the future on in terms of delivering the business and how does that look for the next week as well and next month. And then I have a secondary meeting with the leadership, which includes kind of the leaders of the field sales. And we make sure that we have all of the communication ready for the field sales team um, so that they can kind of set up their priorities for the week. And then those sales leaders cascade that information throughout the week. And I am always kicking the week off for them with kind of what are your priorities? What is your focus? So I would say that's very different than any other CPG that I've had mm-hmm. in terms of just like the, the specific routine tied to a field sales team. But aside from that, mm-hmm. a lot of my days are tied to coaching my team, developing the future strategies, um, a lot of pricing and, and decisions tied to pricing, um, determining, you know, what does our spend look like, our budgets, um, meeting some of our partner accounts. We have quite a few big partnerships with some of the larger um, customers in the region. And so making sure things like um, the forecasts are accurate with those teams and ensuring that we have the right line of sight with what does our look, future look like. There's a long process that I oversee tied to what is our, our annual planning cycle. And, and um, one thing that's super exciting that we get to do here is developing innovation. So we, I think you probably know a lot about our beer portfolio, but we also have some innovation every year tied to the growing trend of refreshed beverages. Mm-hmm. And so like a big amount of, of my time right now is on kind of like educating the overall kind of category trends, making sure my team's aware of them and ultimately um, ensuring that our team gets the right insights for my region of what we need to do for the future to succeed. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess Vancouver and BC in general is a pretty um, trend forward market in a lot of ways, right? Like a lot of restaurants, fashion, natural yeah, trends. Interesting. It's like the trends start out west and generally move eastwards. So, I mean, for my business, craft, right? Craft beer certainly um, is larger in BC than it is in any other market. And for RTD, kind of a similar or be far hmm. like, I guess, for those that, aren't in it like refreshed beverages it's um also like more um competitive than you see in the rest of the country and different mm-hmm. taste profiles that exist so it is interesting. pretty interesting interesting yeah i always think of bc as sort of like the california of, of canada right like yeah. they're always a bit ahead in like the natural trends and all of that and then it moves over and then also you know the whole like new york versus la thing i think exists a bit between vancouver and toronto or sometimes they don't get along it's very a lot of differences in, in how they look at the world. That's interesting. How how large is your team? Because this seems like a an enormous team that you're managing. I uh, I don't know the exact headcount because it changes continually. I have quite a few dotted lines as well as uh, yeah. direct reports. I think my direct team is about seventy. Wow. Um, and then the dotted team is probably another like fifteen. Wow. 
Wow. wow. It's, it's a really large team. Yeah. So that, that definitely speaks to the importance of like all the coaching, right. Educating, aligning on priorities, all that you're doing. That makes a ton of sense. And I mean, like sense. there's a lot of structure that exists, right. I don't have that. Yeah. Many, I have. Yeah. Got it. But still that's eight, eight direct reports. It's a lot. A lot. A lot. Um, and then I guess in addition to all that managing and running the business, you probably in your role are also the conduit up as well yes. in terms of reporting and month, probably monthly and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, we, you know, like anything tied to reporting back to the national team in, in Toronto, for sure. I am, I am the face for that. But I think, you know, a lot of people have been in the region before. And so the mm -hmm. good thing is, like, I think there's a lot of support and understanding because BC is a very different marketplace, not only from like a consumer standpoint, but yeah. um, the... The regulations are different and it's very much like similar to what Justin yeah. was mentioning, like locally focused. And so ensuring that like products are manufactured in BC. And so that's why like some of the supply and logistics part is a little different too. Interesting. Yeah. And then I think, uh, I think another question we like to ask is like, how do you balance work with like your personal time taking care of yourself? Yeah, you're new in a in a fantastic city. I'm sure you want to go down to Kitts Beach every day, but you've got to work. So, so how do you, but I, I see on your Instagram that you're doing a lot of amazing things. Yeah. So you're, so you're making it work. Instagram makes it seem like I'm like definitely having a lot more fun, I would say personally than some days I am, but I think like that's what it comes down <laughs> to. And that's my answer is I think like the answer is sometimes I don't balance, right? Sometimes I yeah. can balance and, and I get to do those things. And sometimes like, I think the reality of, of the job in any really senior thing is, is sometimes you just, you just don't. Um, but I think, you know, for me, like I tried to like create boundaries, um, especially now that I'm a little longer and I think, you know, you start a new role, you want to do a great job. And so like that onset is always very challenging. And I think like going into it with that mentality, um, surely like you need to have, but then, you know, I try, for example, not to work on weekends. Mm -hmm. So like my preference is I would rather work more, um, during the week in order to be able to kind of shut down on weekends. And so that's like a choice that I make and it's something that's critical. Um, for me, another thing that's been really life-changing is like having a morning routine. I get up really early and I make sure that I do my workouts normally then, or have time for myself so that if I can't get there by the end of the day as much, then I know that I've at least set aside time for myself and I've accomplished something. I also feel like better about, about coming yeah. into the office I've moved. Um, so that's a bit of how I do. I mean, I know it's a little bit tougher, right? When you have less flexibility with a family, but one of the things that's hard is when you don't, you know, you can't just work all the time either. So you kind of have to like, also give yourself the leeway to make some of those like choices personally, otherwise it's too easy to work nonstop. And so that those have been decisions I've made. Yeah. I, I have been trying, I used to have a pretty good morning routine since having a baby. You'd think I'm up earlier. I'm not any. So what time, what time are you waking up in this? Instance? I normally wake up well in the summer, I'd say a little easier around yeah. five now, probably five 30. Okay. So any tips for waking up early? For... Just get out of bed as soon as the alarm goes off. Don't think, don't possible. Don't fuck yourself into staying, I guess. Yeah, because I mean, every day is I'm not perfect at it. The other thing I like to, I like excite myself with like knowing I get to have a coffee. So like I have a routine tied to like having my coffee ready in the morning. <laughs> like not a that reward. exciting, I know. Like for anybody listening and they're going to be like, wow, this girl's really boring. Life life is accomplished in small steps. Yeah, very, very true. So you're a, an expert in the 
the beer space or alcoholic drink space, one of the, you know, not super serious questions that we had is if Alex and I were beers, what beers would we be? And I'm hoping mine is better than Alex's. Well, I know I actually had to laugh because I was like, I'm not normal. Like I'm not a Cicerone. So I don't know if you know this, I'm going to start by this. So like, you know, how you have sommeliers for wine, Mm -hmm. like Cicerone is like for beer. And so before it's like, I need to really think about this question because it's like, well, what really makes something good or bad or like what qualities are they going to be defined as? So it's it's a bit intimidating because what if you don't like it? But (laughs) Um, I think it's like purely dependent overall on your preferences, but I think maybe Justin, I'll, I'll start with you and I'm going to give you Stanley park as a brand because you are in BC. And I think it's only like fair for me to pick one of my brands that are part of our craft portfolio, especially now that you've moved to the Island, I'm expecting you to continue to. So that would be, I would choose that brand. You said brand, right? Not yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, I think that that one basically, I think, would be a good embodiment of you. But ultimately, I think it really is depending on like what your tastes have evolved over time. I don't really. He doesn't and have then... to like. He doesn't have to like the beer you think he is. <laughs> I, I feel like it's an insult if he doesn't. <laughs> no, Stanley Park's a good beer. I do like it. Yeah, okay. and I like the, their little brewery too. I've been there a couple of times. You've been to the um, brew pub. Yeah, the brew pub. Yeah, it's a okay. it's a good spot. Okay. And Leo's actually even been there. I don't know what kind of parent that makes me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah There's a good well. outdoor space. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's great because they've got that, that area of Stanley Park, right? You've got like the uh, little par three course there, the pitch and putt pitch and, and putt. all of that. So it's in the summer, it's really busy there. So it's a good spot. So I, that's a great one. Thank you. I'll take it. You're welcome. And then I think, <laughs> Alex, I'm going to pick a non-beer since like a good chunk of my portfolio mm. is not beer. And so I think that that's one thing I have to say. So yeah. I'm going to give Alex neutral because I think it's just like easy drinking. You can have it at any occasion. And Alex is always somebody that's like great to interact with. And it's never like, you know, you take a sip and you're like, oh shoot. Like, it's just like always great. So it's also a local brand from Vancouver. So I think it's fair for me to pick both of those given uh, now I am very much in, in that market. I like it. I'm not gonna lie I was hoping you'd say Stella because I just love Stella as like a <laughs> beer but neutrals are pretty good yeah I almost said good. it Alex but then I thought to myself no I have to like you know share the love amongst the whole portfolio no I respect it I respect it neutrals a good one that's what I drink in the summer when I go down to the beach because if I drink a bunch of beers I don't feel very beach ready so, so, I got, so I have to have some neutrals in me you can always drink Michelob Ultra local. oh yes that's true I do like the Michelob Ultras yes that's true yeah so tell us a, like we just named a couple of different beers in your portfolios tell us about a, a few of the the new stuff the the stuff that is hot right now um you know what's what's going on with what's going on with the portfolio I think there's a lot that has continued to evolve and just like with the way that COVID restrictions have changed, it's changed people's buying patterns as they have in many different um, industries. One thing that happened during COVID that is definitely a continued trend, but it accelerated and brought us further along is the expansion and growth of ready to drink like seltzers and beyond that. So there are many different segments that exist within it. And so starting to see now that like kind of that explosion of sodas and seltzers and drinking at home um, 
you know, it's been maintained for a lot of people. So having uh, that category continue to evolve where now we're seeing a little bit more trending towards like slightly sweetened. So rather than it being kind of that zero calorie, zero sugar, less flavor, a little bit more. And then we also saw like this, like nostalgic kind of, you know, wanting to treat yourself. So like we saw a bit of a growth. I don't know if you've tried it, like Mike's um, portfolio, we launched like Mike's red freeze, for example. So like, if you Mm -hmm. want to have one drink that was sweet, you know, or people that are really interested in that profile, um, that kind of being a trend Um, within beer, certainly seeing like, I would say like a divergent trend of those that want to be able to consume and like with some of the challenges tied to the economy right now, some like consistent, you know, trends on value brands, Mm -hmm. but also on premium. So it's like a bit of, I think what we've called like the K shape of, of how the economy's evolved. And that's been consistent more so with beer tied to like pricing tiers and, and those that are willing to also like have that experience of, you know, you want to have a Stella, you want to hold the chalice and having that meal occasion at home. So mm-hmm. having like a bit more of like that experience when you're making a meal at home, cause that has definitely been a trend. Um, and then I think the last thing I know that you guys indicated non-alk continues to grow. Um, I think the last time I looked at it, it's like a 17% growth rate. So like continues to be, you know, part of that, like lower calorie health conscious. And so it's interesting because it's not always consumed like on its own. So, so for example, like people will drink it by like alternating, right? Like if they're out at a work event and responsible drinking of still being part of like the experience of having a beer or a drink and, and also kind of balancing that, like health and responsible element. So those are some of the things that we're seeing recently um, come to life and craft continues to grow. Certainly it's like, I think it kind of like exploded a few years ago in terms of like the growth, it's still growing and that continues to be. And now with on-premise coming back, I think, you know, the, the balance of retail and, and purchases at home versus everybody wanting to go back out has been like a really nice kind of for our partners and, and the accounts of having people come back. Yeah. Interesting. How were, I'm just curious, I guess, through sort of COVID, BC was a lot more open than some of the other provinces. So I I would imagine during COVID, there was a huge spike in at-home consumption versus like going to bars because they're all shut down, especially in like the GTA and places like that. But Vancouver and BC was fairly open. So what, what sort of changes during the pandemic did you see in like consumption patterns? I mean, definitely like um, canned and beverages increased given like it was more purchases happening in retail than with on-premise being closed. But even though BC was less, less closed than other markets, um, so it wasn't as extreme, the trends still existed pretty similar. So mm. total consumption was pretty consistent. It was just kind of like a shift yeah. um, between segments. And so for example, like the one I mentioned with RTD. So at the time during COVID, you know, there was kind of an a change in wine, spirits, RTD, beer, but overall total alcohol was pretty consistent from what I've seen, um, whether that was in BC or, or the rest of Canada. I'd say just that shift between on-premise versus retail, we didn't experience it in the same way that Ontario. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Another question. So I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the sort of beer industry fairly male dominated. So probably you entering that industry and being so successful, what 
you know, maybe advice would you have for navigating a career in that industry, finding your voice, like advice for women wanting to follow a, a similar path to you? It is, um, it's interesting because when I came into this role, I had many people say, you're the first woman I've seen in this role, which I think given like the evolution of the world was a bit surprising, but yeah, as many industries still are, there are challenges, not only I think for just like diversity of gender, diversity of thought, race, all, all of those different pieces, but coming in, I think with like Labatt is very focused on inclusivity and, you know, making sure that we are growing our people and educating and we have like very safe, um, you know, ways for those to kind of communicate, but where it's challenging, I think more so is when you look at customers, right. And they're not all in the same journey. They aren't all corporations. There isn't like Mm. the same element of, of how you can manage. So I think for me, it's around helping my team feel safe to be able to voice anything that is of concern while helping to elevate them. I think one of the things that is tough, and I think for me when I was young, is just like being able to be your own advocate. And so in a more like male-dominated industry, giving young females like the openness to be able to voice ideas, concerns, you know, feel comfortable to fail and still be able to um, progress. It's actually very interesting though, because my team here is 50-50, which I think is pretty unique in the industry. I think it speaks volumes to like, you know, the efforts of the people before me, as well as, you Mm -hmm. know, what we've continued to do to make sure that we do have that here and for me to kind of continue to to keep it safe. But um, I'm inspired by some of their strength at times or like the things that they have worked through and that Labatt has supported because it can be tough, like going into, like, think about it, like a man or a woman, right? You go into mm-hmm. an, an on-premise customer who has been running their business for 20 years. It, it's not like going into like a head office of a retailer, like Loblaws. It's, it can be really mm-hmm. intimidating. And so I think aside from just like men versus women, I think helping them to feel comfortable um, has definitely been a learning for me in this role. Like a field sales team is, is, is different than, um, yeah an only back office or like corporate sales team. Yeah. It's a lot more different situations, right? Yeah, like exactly. a, lot, yeah. a lot more, a lot more touches, a lot more customers. It's hard. But I mean, I feel very fortunate. Like I've, I've had, I've had some people say like having like someone in the role makes them think it's possible for them, which is always like encouraging. It's not like you really think of yourself like that, but I've had quite a few say that, like, I've never seen this before. So mm-hmm. now like I know it's possible and, those are kind of the days that you go home and you're like, okay, like I can make a difference in someone's life, which I think is like an amazing feeling. That's awesome. Well, one question we like to ask people is what is your brand crush? And by that, I would say, what is uh, a brand or a product that you don't have to necessarily buy or use it? Either you buy or use it and you love it, or you see them doing awesome stuff in the market that you think is inspiring or really smart or creative? I think that Nike is always really inspiring and creative. They're the best, I think, yeah. I think that okay. they are thought leaders and don't follow. They have like a very strong brand recognition and followership. I think that they, like no one questions what their purpose is, um, whether like it's not the shoe that I actually purchased for running, but from like a brand perspective and like an overall 
CPG. I think that they definitely have a stronghold in the market and are kind of inspiring on those around, not only from an awareness, but just like, even like on diversity, like before everybody was, you know, kind of following their lead, they were leaders in ensuring that it was like an inclusive set of people ensuring that like they were kind of showcasing a variety of different um, elements of life. So I, I think that they're a pretty cool brand. One thing I, I, uh, I saw them, um, or I guess it was the form, one of the former directors of marketing now at Gatorade, but um, director from Nike uh, brand week last month. And he was talking about the importance of sport for Gatorade and for Nike. And I think that message of inclusivity is so natural and so great for them. Like I've seen their campaign on women in sport and it's just like, it's super powerful and it's simultaneously like super positive and putting so much good into the world, but also like really on brand and on the business at the same time. It's just like, it's kind of the dream as a marketer, I think. Nike is a powerhouse. I The, the speed at which they like, react to social issues in the news is incredible to me. A company that size that they're able to do that so well is, is always amazing. Well, I have uh, to say I did buy a pair of shoes there and they do not have a great e-commerce policy. Shit so. <laughs> <laughs> about the Lululemon shoes. For my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, so last question we like to do is give you a bit of a platform or a, a soapbox to give some insight or give some insight to people out there that want to start a career in CPG like, what is the one piece of advice you would want to give to someone? My one piece of advice is let what gets put in front of you be an opportunity rather than predefining what your career will look like, because all of the experiences will bring you to a place of better understanding, even if in the specific moment, it doesn't feel like it because your career is long it is not five years or 10 years. And all of those experiences will build to get you to where you're supposed to be, whether that's like understanding that's not where you want to be or opening a new path. I think it's so important to take in all the experience and advice and learnings from those around you um, because you never know what the outcome will be. Um, I've been lucky that I've had great mentors. I'd say try to listen to some of them and some of them it doesn't work where it's natural and you feel comfortable. I think those are like the mentorships that really work that are longstanding. And I think that those pieces of kind of the outside of the career in the office help kind of give you perspective when you can't see it yourself. I love that. That's, awesome. that's, that's great advice. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us, Kim. So great to see you. Hopefully I'll see you in Vancouver sometime soon. And this time I won't bail last minute. I'm now like, I will never. Are you waiting for me on the island now? <laughs> I, I will never again, like unless I'm 100% sure I can make it, going to reach out to you because I can't ever do that again. Next so time I'm going to reach out to Steph because maybe she'll be like firm about holding plans. Yeah, she is. She, is, <laughs> she does plan my social calendar. It's true. So, so and, and I, I do promise I, I, I will post a bit more. I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to try and step it up. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Kim. It was nice great to see you. and chatting with you. Bye. Kim, bye. Bye. I love that. That was great. So good to see Kim. And she's just killing it. She's got a huge team, major role uh, with an amazing company. Obviously, no secret, Alex and I love beer uh, and neutrals and other beverages as well. So uh, really great to see here. Alex, what was your 
key takeaway from the cast? I think from my end, the thing that stood out was your career is long and that every opportunity that you come upon is an opportunity and and not an obstacle and that embracing it. And I loved the piece about competing with yourself yeah, as a way of reframing your career. I think often when you're young, you're ambitious and you're looking to move quickly, you lose sight of doing your best work by competing with yourself. I mean, the other people will always be there and all you can really do is control what you can control, which is yourself. So I, I liked that message. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good message just like in life in general, right? Like the thought of that, you're always comparing yourself to somebody else and that's really not the right way to live, right? That causes unnecessary stress, anxiety, all of that. So yeah. I think that was that was great advice, absolutely. So a huge, huge thank you to Kim. If she wants to send us a bunch of free beer, that'd be awesome. We'll have to send her email on that. And uh, please, if you haven't already, like and subscribe, follow us on our social media channels, and we'll be back again next week with another great interview. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.